Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello and welcome to the 2023 I Have COVID Spectacular. You're listening to Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer podcast, the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, and a proud member of the Herdat Sports Network. I'm Ben, and I'm joined remotely, as always, by my friend and co-host, Drew. <laughs> Thanks, Ben, and thank you all for joining us. For those of you new to the show, each episode, Ben and I will sample craft beer, mostly local, some beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or X at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen to each episode on wannabewalkons.com. On this week's episode, Drew and I are BYOB as the novel coronavirus is forcing us to do this shit remotely. (laughs) Join us as we recap the Wisconsin game, preview Iowa, and drink some Nebraska craft beverages. I'm Drew. And I'm Ben. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. How you doing, Drew? How you feeling? Um, not as hyped as usual because I could not hear the the theme song blasting through my headphones. Oh, it's it sitting in awkward silence. It didn't come through. <laughs> no. Oh, I thought you were excited no. to hear it. That's why. I, for those who are listening, obviously, because nobody's watching, it's just Drew and I uh, chatting, both in our respective basements. We're coming to you via Zoom because, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, I have COVID. Um, thanks, thanks to my four-year-old son who brought it into our home and spread it across us. And now we don't get to partake in Thanksgiving or Black Friday football in person and all that fun stuff. I thought on the board when I did the mute, I normally mute the, uh, the, the, the microphones so that they're not hot while the, the theme song's playing so that it doesn't hear us coughing or breathing or talking during the theme song. And apparently I cut you out <laughs> completely. That's okay. That's so, I hear it in my head. Yeah. Do you? A little bit. A little bit. Well, that's good. I kind of know how it goes at this point. Yeah. I wonder then if, if, um, this next, this next announcement, uh, will come through your ears, but we do have a a special announcement, kind of a bittersweet announcement that we want to get out at the top of the show. Uh, and I had a sound cue queued up for it. Um, which is this. Okay. Let's, let's try it. Do you hear it? Oh man, this joke is going to be so lost on you. It's the sound (laughs) of like the the little jingly bells, just like this, like okay. ethereal. Yeah. Um, so guys, we are, uh, we're packing it in. 
Uh, this is our second to last show as wannabe walk-ons. Like I said, this is a bittersweet announcement, but after three seasons, Drew and I have decided that we both believe in the direction that this team is, is moving. Not that this podcast <laughs> makes two shits a difference, how the direction of this team is moving, but, uh, we're very excited to move forward, uh, as, as fans only and, uh, and kind of sit back and enjoy the football season without, uh, the podcast as something that, that we do. We feel like we brought a lot of attention to Nebraska craft breweries, had amazing conversations with folks all across the state who make these incredible beers. We, we accomplished what we set out to do. Um, and now we're going to kick back, relax, enjoy some football moving forward and, uh, and celebrate these next two episodes. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a fun journey um, while it lasted. I think I I think I know I I got a lot out of it more than I ever bargained for, and I'm sure you did too. Um, like I said, I hope I hope that we had a, at least a small impact on on uh, introducing people to Nebraska craft beer and uh, and Nebraska craft beverages in general, um, and just the the again the impact that they have on the community and just how wonderful um people in that community are um for, you know for me personally like this podcast has absolutely helped uh take care of a lot of the uh the heartache um it's uh provided some some outlet for for some of the pain of nebraska football and the and the, the things that have happened the past few years but yeah excited to um just get back to watching as a fan um and not necessarily uh contributing to um, the noise in the wake of, of Nebraska football games. Yeah. Uh, I also want to say that I'm incredibly grateful to everyone who's tuned in friends, family, folks who don't know us, uh, who found us through social media or other avenues. Thank you so much for your dedication, for listening to us, for, uh, suffering through our mighty ducks rants and, and all the other dumb <laughs> shit we like to talk about on top of Nebraska football and craft beer. Uh, thank you to all the breweries who welcomed us in. Let us sit down, waste your time when you're all such busy people uh, to have conversations with. Every every one of those moments I would go into nervous and anxious and kind of feeling like unworthy and we were welcomed into every single situation and, and uh, treated like we belonged, which is how or is, which is why we love Nebraska craft breweries so much is because it is a place of community and welcoming uh, and everything like that. Uh, we're also very grateful to the Herdat Sports Network who brought us on for this final season. Um, we we decided to go with them to kick on some some ad revenue, uh, and so we're very excited to announce that we'll be donating all of our ad revenue um, to a charity uh, called Beer for Everyone, which focuses on providing opportunities for everyone to work within the craft beer community uh, and make sure that there's equal opportunity on that front. Uh, so we'll announce the the final number maybe next episode. I don't know, but just know that uh, all those ads that you listened to went towards an awesome cause. And we're so grateful to be able to do that uh, and to push that towards an area that we feel is important. So that's, that's as sentimental as I want to get because uh, COVID makes my heart swell. And so does this. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't want to put too much pressure on it. Um, so let's move into what we what we talk best about, Drew, uh, which is what are we drinking? And like I said, we're BYOB this week. So what do you have in front of you? What are you what are you sipping on today? Yeah, um, I'm I'm going back to Jukes Aleworks, one of uh, one of our favorites here on the show. Um, I found a new one from them. This is called Glass Arrows. It's a a, a New England or a hazy IPA, um, but it's a little bit of a twist. They brewed it with uh, Kolsch yeast, 
Um, and so cold cheese is going to accentuate the hops. Um, it's going to really make those fruity flavors and fruity profiles pop out. Um, but it also still kind of creates a, a, a crisper, a cleaner finish, almost a lager-like finish to the beer. Um, and this one is uh, phenomenal. I mean, it's it's really bright. It's fruity, like I said. Um, it's brewed with a lemon drop, hops, Columbus, and then Amarillo Lupo Max. Um, I think the lemon really shines through on this. Uh, kind of reminds me a little bit of the fruitiness from Fruity Pebbles. Mm. Um, so just to give you an idea of just like how how much that that comes through and how much it shines, but um, just another another great beer from Jukes. Um, again, just doing something just a little bit different, a nice little twist um, on a beer, a little bit of creativity from them. So yeah, it's a great beer. They do such a good job of finding familiar flavors and putting them in into interesting situations so that they kind of expand, you know, you they're, they're like the six degrees of separation when it comes to beer. Like, oh, you like like lemon drop. You like that fruity pebble flavor. We'll try it in this style of beer. And then that style of beer can then cross over to this style. And then you find out you're drinking this 42 month, you know, gin barrel aged beer that you never <laughs> would have tried. But Kyle Jukes has has got you wrapped around his finger and he's taking you on that beer journey. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Big props to. uh to jukes on that one uh that sounds really good and i kind of wish that i was drinking that <laughs> if one of, one of these might find their way over to your your place next all week. right uh, yeah. i myself am sipping on an old-fashioned uh we're recording this uh at 11 o'clock so like that's that's relative lunchtime like that's that's fair to be drinking you know uh, nebraska made <laughs> whiskey but uh, the old-fashioned i'm drinking is made with wahoo whiskey out of wahoo nebraska made with nebraska corn i also uh, made my own simple syrup to add a little touch of sweetness to this and then finished it with some orange bitters and some Angostura bitters. Uh, real nice, smooth, orangey, bright, sharp. Feels a little bit of a burn, which I kind of, you know, I kind of need. I need that little kick in the pants uh, after after last night. And we'll obviously get into talking about the Nebraska-Wisconsin game. Uh, but yeah, just real happy with this one. This, this makes for an excellent old-fashioned. I've had a Wahoo whiskey old-fashioned a few times now. Uh, I've enjoyed some during the games and I just think it's a really nice whiskey to just mellow out with that. So uh, if you're ever looking for a nice way to drink a local old fashioned, I recommend Wahoo whiskey. Awesome. Awesome. Well, before we move on, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our very special show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. Longtime listener to the show, No Wannabe Walk-Ons, is the official podcast of the NCBG. The Guild is a professional organization that protects the craft brewing industry in Nebraska. The Guild's main focus is to encourage folks of a legal drinking age to drink Nebraska beer, ciders, and seltzers through promotion, education, and events. The Guild is proud of the delicious brews being put out by the, uh, the brewing industry and the economic and social impact they are making in their communities across the state of Nebraska. You can visit Nebraska.beer and check out the Guild's new website, which has excellent resources for finding Nebraska craft beer, cider, and seltzer near you. Well, Drew, this is our penultimate episode, and uh, this is also Nebraska's penultimate game of the regular season. Hopefully not the penultimate game of the total season, uh, but Nebraska drops another heartbreaker uh, to a conference foe who looked like, man, right out of the gate, we were, we were going to have this one. This was going to be a, a runaway, and uh, and it turned out to not be that. I don't have anything clever to say. <laughs> In regards to that, but what are your first takeaways? What jumps out at uh, Tia as Nebraska falls twenty-four to seventeen in overtime against Wisconsin? 
I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, talking about the way that they jumped out ahead 14 to nothing right out of the gate, um, you know, offense was obviously clicking. Wisconsin's defense came out really sluggish, which they've been known to do, um, especially in recent games. And then our defense was shutting them down early. Um, honestly, I never I never felt comfortable. I was I was excited, obviously, like, you know, I was up, up, up out of my seat when they were scoring. Um but you knew that, that Wisconsin would figure out a way to get back in this game. Uh, their defense cinched up, again, as they've, they've been known to do recently to at least put up a fight. Um, and they did just that in this game. And so um, it, it felt like we were being set up to, to be let down again um, pretty early on in a, in a pretty big way. And so unfortunately, that's, you know, that's kind of how everything shook out. Um, so you know, I'm glad we got to enjoy those first few few minutes of the game. Um, and then after that, you know, obviously it was just kind of downhill from there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's one of those games where you're like two scores is, is not going to be enough uh, to sustain the kind of momentum that you need throughout the game. You're, you're sitting there thinking, man, if we can get that third score, we can get up 17 maybe before they get a point on the board. Uh, then you feel a little more confident because you're thinking just one more field goal is going to really keep this game out of reach, which it would have uh, had that, that first field goal gone through. You know, you're, you're thinking this might be a, a different outcome. Uh, but yeah, I, I was in that same boat. I was very excited up and running around the house. My wife said, you're impossible to watch a game with. Um, <laughs> and I said, yeah, let me get it out now because it's, you know, we're just conditioned. And, and also because that, that Wisconsin defense was really starting to buckle down and, and was starting to sniff out uh, what was going on. And then some of the same kind of frustrations, I think, from the offensive play calling started to creep in on Nebraska's side of the ball. Um, and Nebraska's defense, as as you mentioned in, in last week's episode, um, kind of had that game where they weren't as sharp as they've been. Um, and they really needed to, to be ever-present. And I, I think it's maybe interesting for this team to play with a lead. What does that look like? And how did they learn that? And so I think there's a lot of lessons and takeaways from this game uh, which is what Rule has always said, and he's never lied to us about it, of, of that's how he works in the in the first season, right? Is I got to learn how this team processes in all facets and in all scenarios. That's why they practice them all. That's why situationally they like to practice everything. Uh, but I think there's going to be a lot of discussion about in the offseason Rule's situational awareness. And even if the team is practicing it, what's Rule doing to better himself in those situations? And so I think that's something interesting maybe we can talk about uh, that's now been highlighted the past couple of weeks. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of the hot hot topic coming out of this game is is the clock management. We saw a little bit of it that um, I thought was curious at the end of the first half, um, and then obviously the the end of regulation. Um, just some some things that were real head scratchers that you think maybe might have ended up costing them um, costing them a win by playing it conservatively and playing for the field goal. Um, you know, rule rule has talked about everything is a learning opportunity. Um, I think he means that for everybody within the program, whether that's that's the players or the the coaches. And um, I don't know. I was I was trying. I was looking at at this and trying to trying to see it from that perspective because I knew you would bring up the you know learning opportunities um, and decision making and all of that. And so I was trying to find like a positive way to look at this one. Um, reminding myself that rule is, hasn't had, I don't think 10 years of, of coaching experience yet. Um, and that, that, 
you know, he has not yet found himself in, in every situation. He has not coached at a place like Nebraska. Um, we talk a lot about how quarterbacks and players here are in a fishbowl. I think the, the coaches are too. Um, and when you're getting paid, you know, $8 million or so a year, um, I think that pressure becomes even more substantial. And it's something that you don't really bargain for or know what it's going to be like until you're in that moment. And it seemed to me from the outside looking in like rule, Satterfield, the play callers um, might be feeling that that pressure. Um, they took a lot of heat for the way that they handled the end of the Maryland game. And it looks like they responded to that um, here in the Wisconsin game in a way that was had it, again, it had a negative impact on the team and on the outcome of the game. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a very interesting point. And this doesn't this doesn't feel like the coaching staff that is going to listen to the outside noise for coaching advice, right? But yet that they want to I don't know, I think sometimes Rule maybe falls into the trap and and I think this is his personality of trying to make everyone happy. And and, you know, he wants to bring back the the ground and pound, run with the fullback, bring in the two tight end sets, you know, go jumbo be aggressive at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball and, and, and speak to the tradition of Nebraska. But then he brings in a guy like Marcus Satterfield, who he also wants to be able to be explosive and he wants to be able to throw the ball down the field. And he also wants to be, you know, flip a switch and be an air raid offense when the timing calls for it. And then we have the Maryland game and everyone's like, go for the field goal. Why didn't you go for the field goal? Why would you pass the ball with your third string quarterback? And now we've got our third string quarterback in and we're going down the field and he kicks the field goal and we're like, why didn't you throw for the touchdown? Like, what's wrong with you? He's not our third string. He's our starting quarterback. You know, it's like when you, when you have a fan base like Nebraska's fan base that is both um, so in tune with the game of football, with who they are, with the history, with everything like that, um, but also is so vocal. Uh, I think it's it's difficult for a head coach to know where he's aiming. Um, and I think, like you said, this is this is that learning experience when it comes to coaching at Nebraska, is he has to learn that the reason that people loved Tom Osborne wasn't because he listened to the fans, it's because uh, he took chances, and when those paid off, the fans loved him, right? And then you can look back, and the infamous going for two, even though he didn't convert, we can look back at that and go, we loved Tom Osborne, even though we hated that decision in the moment, but it's legendary in the long run because he always was true to himself. And I think Matt Rule is going to learn to be true to himself over his tenure here. And that noise is going to get quieter and quieter, even if it's getting louder and louder, louder in the different realms. It's going to get quieter for him. And that's why he's got such a strong staff and things like that that he brings in. They're going to take care of all that. And he'll just focus on on the football and, and that's, I think, where the growth is going to come from in, in major steps. Yeah, and, and hopefully, um, you know, knowing how to build programs, he can, he can lean on what he knows, you know, to, to get him through um, games like this, a season like this, um, as he's adjusting to, to being Nebraska's head coach um, and learning what that's all about. I will say, I, I think that, I think people are right to be upset though by the play calling like I don't think that the reaction is wrong um you know last week or this week because these are two completely different situations I was just going to ask you that I was just going to say do you think oh. that they're the, the two similar situations or they're different because I no, think they're, they're different 
they're way different and and both I, the the thing that is so that is so frustrating and where i think he went wrong is that both times um he was essentially playing for the tie you know you're tied 10 to 10 against maryland you have a chance to you have a, a chance to to take the lead and you throw the interception going for a touchdown you did not need the touchdown um to take the lead and and to to put the onus on your defense in that situation you had an opportunity to take the lead with just a field goal. And I think the right thing to do in that scenario is to take the lead with a field goal. Um, you know, and then in this game against Wisconsin, uh, he played for the tie again. He played to make it 17 to 17. Um, but you've got 90 seconds. You're you're knocking on the door. I think, I think at that point they were just about to enter the red zone, had three timeouts. Um, a touchdown gives you the lead. A field goal ties the game, uh, and so again they went, they went conservative instead of hyper aggressive. But but they, again, just went for that tie instead of going for the lead. And this was a game where, you know, there were no turnovers. Like the, Nebraska hadn't put the ball on the ground on offense. They hadn't thrown, you know, I think aside from one throw by Chuba Purdy that that was nearly intercepted in a in sort of a, a scramble moment. Um, they really had not jeopardized anything um, when it came to protecting the ball. And so, and they were moving the field again. Chubba was um, orchestrating an, a, another late, long drive um, to put the offense in a great position. And so, uh, yeah, it just, everything was set up for them to go for it in that situation. And not, and they didn't have to throw the ball this time either, right? And they, and they, they could have run it and they did run it with those timeouts. And so, um, you know, when they handed, handed the ball off to Emmett Johnson, I think he took it for seven, seven yards on that first down carry. Like, that's where you call your timeout. But they didn't. Yeah. They just let the, they let the clock bleed. And so at that point, you knew what they were doing. They were playing for the field goal. It was conservative. Um, and, and those are the types of things that we've seen time and time again in football games, not just at Nebraska, but in general, where you, you go for the tie and you come out with a loss. Yeah, to me, that was the part that was that was so mind-boggling is, you know, we had plenty of time. We had three timeouts. I think that drive started, there was three minutes and 35 seconds left, somewhere in that range. And, you know, they start throwing the ball. We get lucky on a on a, on a a holding call or a pass interference call, 10-yard penalty, gets us that first first down, which is so crucial in those drives, right? Get that first first down, and then you feel you got some momentum. I turned to my wife. She was watching the game with me, like I said. And she was criticizing me the whole time. We don't need to get into that. Uh, but she doesn't listen to the podcast, so um, I can criticize her, uh, which I told her I was going to do, and she was like, whatever. Um, again, we don't need to get into this. We've been trapped in the house with each other for seven days now, and it's going to be another seven because of how the COVID has delayed itself in going through our family. But again, this this is not what we're trying to talk about right now, but I do want to... No, I'm kidding. Um, but I turned to her and I go, you know, we've got plenty of time. We've got the timeouts. Run the ball. It's been so effective with with Chuba and they've got Emmett Johnson in. So clearly they are thinking like this is our this is our big play guy. Emmett Johnson could bust one at any moment. And he was looking like he was going to just like in the Maryland game. Right. Him and Chuba were running in tandem. Um, the defense was on their heels. They were backing up. Nebraska was doing their best version of the hurry up. Then they get down to that 40 second mark and they let 20 seconds run off the clock with all of their timeouts. And you're thinking, what are we doing here? Why are we not continuing to pound the football and just let circumstance run out the clock as opposed to playing to run out the clock when Wisconsin is not stopping you anymore on the ground? And that to me was my greatest frustration is it's like at least with Maryland, right? Like they were starting to cinch up and stop the run on that final drive. And so the pass was the option. There was still time left on the clock. 
But here it's a completely different situation where you're effective on the ground. The clock is now on your side. If you score a touchdown, you know, Wisconsin's got to take a couple of deep shots to try and put themselves in a situation to where they can take a Hail Mary or something. Like that. I mean, like, so that, that was my frustration in looking at it where we're hearing, well, you know, last week you got mad when we played, when we didn't take the field goal. And this week you get mad when we do take the field goal. It's like, yeah, cause they're two different situations, right? Like momentum was on your side in that moment. And, and so I, I hope that, um, like I mentioned, that get, get rid of the noise, right? Coach the game. It is a one and no situation every week. Just coach for that moment. Don't worry about last week. Don't worry about next week. Just focus on winning the game right now because when you play for ties, you're, you're playing to lose, right? You, you're because you're not playing to win. It's that kind. Of, it's the same thing as like if you're not if you're not uh, early, you're you're late. You know what I mean? Like go go yeah. for it. You have to be aggressive in this situation, especially when you're a team like a Nebraska who has lost in so many of these situations. Being conservative is is letting is is basically telling your guys pull up off the gas, and so you just have to keep the foot down and you have to keep trying to to take the win. Go get it because it's not going to come to you. And and rule in in fair criticism of him has been slightly hypocritical um, in some of the conversations where he's talked about you know we got to go take it. Well, that was a situation where he didn't go take it. Right. For, forget worrying about what the big picture looks like or how the development looks like in those moments. Like these guys have earned the right to win the sixth game. They have fought hard. They've done everything you've asked. So put them in a situation to go take it. And that that's where my frustration comes from. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I was, I was a lot louder about it last week about, um, you know, the coaching staff essentially taking that opportunity away from the defense and, um, you know, and this week they, they took it away from the offense and, and the, the team as a whole. And so I, I agree a hundred percent with you, man. Like, that's yeah. I I, I do want to say though I don't put the blame wholly on the coaching staff. I I do have an area where I do put a, a good chunk of the blame as far as execution goes, um, and it's it's the third facet of this team. And I kind of want to talk about that first. I want to talk about yeah, special let's teams. Jump into that. Um, I I think special teams not functioning as a as a as a as an average special teams right. I don't need to be an incredible special teams. I need to be just an, an average. If you're average amongst the big 10 West, you're like the best special teams in the country. Right. And I don't understand why Nebraska has had such struggles for so long uh, in this special teams area. And I'm hoping Ed Foley is the guy who can come in and fix it. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's easy to look at Tristan and say, okay, you missed one field goal, one of two field goals. We've got a guy in Timmy Bleakroad who is more experienced maybe. Maybe he's a guy you put in in these situations to say, hey, we need the, the kick. I know that we're trying to develop. And again, I'm on that same point where we're, we're far enough into the season where I'm not so concerned about developing. I'm concerned about getting that sixth win that allows for 15 more practices and allows for more development. So do what you have to do to go win there. But the, the biggest frustration has to be the, the punt game. Um, I'll start with the punt return game. We did get a punt return uh, with, was Ethan Nation the one back there? Uh, yep. He had an opportunity for one return. He muffed it and wound up having to kick the ball out of the bounds. Uh, out of the bounds. Wow. <laughs> I've, wa- I've never watched the American football before, apparently. <laughs> he did have one where he had to get the ball out of bounds because he did muff the punt. Uh, could have been potential for a turnover there. Took away an opportunity for a return, an opportunity for a clean catch. Um and then there was kind of nothing else that came out of the punt return game, which we were maybe hoping to see by having a guy like Ethan Nation back there. 
But man, Brian Buscini has turned into a little bit of a liability and a little bit's a nice way of putting it. Um, we, we just can't have him being the guy to down his own punts and make the tackles. There, there's got to be a better solution to our punt game moving forward into the next season because Nebraska's defense can't keep having the offense go three and out and then be put in a short field situation where I think both of Wisconsin, at least at least 10 points came off of the field position from the punting game. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I want to, I thought about this. Bushini did have a rough game and he's had a, a few of them this year. I'm wondering if something is off, if there isn't some at least minor injury that he's dealing with um, and that he's just fighting through. So I, I'm hesitant to say too much on it, but it has been not good. Like the results are not what they should be and what we expect from somebody of his caliber. Um, this was his fourth game of the year that he's averaged 35 yards a punt. Um, and it dates all the way back to the Colorado game. So it's it's been a season of, ups and downs where the downs have been um, detrimental, I guess you could say to the team. And yeah, putting the defense in bad spots. Um, it's, you know, what we look like right now is we look like Iowa without special teams, like, you know, an offense that you, you can't count on for too many points, a defense that you can count on to shut the other team down in general. Um, the difference is that Iowa knows how to control the field. Um, and uh, can more or less rely on on field goals once they get down into the red zone or down into scoring opportunities. And so, um, you know, and that's and the difference in, is what three three or four games, you know, in a season wins to losses. So yeah, yeah, that was um, that was hard to watch uh, from the punting side of things. And then, of course, Alvano missing missing a field goal right before half. Um, that was another uh, another you know clock management situation. Um, that was interesting. You know, they took a shot at the end zone right before kicking the field goal, almost burnt all the time off of the clock. Flashbacks. You know, to yeah. Texas. Yeah. It almost, <laughs> almost cost them um, even just the opportunity. Um, but that was another one where, where, you know, you, you've got, I know you, Alvano has a leg um, and he's shown there are times where he can be clutch, but he's also shown he's still a young kid. He's still trying to make his way. And so, you know, when, when every point counts, getting your kicker a little bit closer, you know, matters. Um, and so it was another opportunity I would have liked to see the offense and the offensive play calling do some favors for your special teams, um, you know, at least by trying to help out and give them a few extra yards to maybe ensure that that kick goes through. Because if it does, that that's, you know, you have a seven-point lead now going into the half instead of four, and it obviously changes the game. So, uh, but all around, yeah, special teams, uh, didn't really do us any favors at all. Um, I just it actually had a negative effect. I just think that this this is kind of that uh, I don't know that that marquee game to show you the importance of special teams and how having you know having your special teams operate in a way that that is just baseline um, can win or lose you games. And so I hope that that's something that's addressed in the off season and really a, a focus of is whether that means bringing in guys who can. Um, accommodate uh, through transfer portal and things of that nature, not to necessarily take over, but to maybe uh, lend some opportunity for the guys that we do have to grow, give them a season of growth. Um, or if it's something where whatever, whatever needs to be done, I guess, I don't think that this is something that can be continued to be excused, you know, as we focus on the offense and the defense, like the special teams has been um, not great at Nebraska 
for, for a long time. Uh, and, and I think that's an area that is so wildly overlooked and bringing in a guy like Ed Foley, who is a maestro, so to speak at special teams gives me confidence, but it's something that as a fan, I'm going to have a pretty short leash on moving into the 2024 season, because I really think that's something that needs to be addressed because to me, that's, that was the difference, uh, in, in this game was the special teams, right? The offense was finally clicking. Uh, the defense was doing enough, you know, they weren't lights out like they have been, but still holding a team to 17 points. Uh, in regulation, when your uh, when your offense scores 14 points in the first quarter, it's pretty damn impressive to lose a game like that, right? Like you would expect uh, that you'd walk out of there with an easy win if if you're if you're saying that stat line, but yet to walk out of there with only you know 17 points in regulation on both sides of the ball is is a frustration. And like I said, special teams to me was the difference there. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's move into Nebraska's offense versus Wisconsin's defense. What were your specifics on that? What were your thoughts? when it came on that front? Um, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm very impressed with Chubba Purdy. Um, I'm, I'm all in on him as far as uh, at least starting the next game and even, you know, seeing what he can provide if he is, uh, if he's given a healthy off season, um, you know, as, as at least competing for the starting job moving forward. I think that he's shown that he um, can provide at least a, a a component in the competition, right? So I, I think you still want to obviously bring in at least one quarterback, if not two through the portal. Um, and then obviously you got Danny Kalen coming in next year's class. But I think that Chubby Purdy has shown, you know, what he's capable of. He can run. Um, he can run the offense according to what, what I think Marcus Satterfield wants it to look like, um, you know, as, as a, a running option, um, a guy who I would say makes decently good decisions overall. Um, you know, needs to work on not, not sailing the ball so much, but he's, you know, a young guy with not much experience. So when he's on, um, you know, he's able to distribute and, and throw the ball well. I think any, I think he offers Nebraska an option at quarterback where he's willing to push the, push the ball down the field. Um, something that, that Harburg, I don't know, did quite as often. Um, and so I was excited to see him have another good game and, and see what he was able to do with a, with a week's preparation, planning on probably being the starter. Yeah. I, I think all those points are really valid. I, I really liked how poised he was. I liked how confident he was. Um, I liked how smart he was in the pocket, how he protected the ball. I like how quick he worked through his progressions. And when something wasn't there, he took off. You know what I mean? There, there wasn't a whole lot of waiting and waiting and waiting. Uh, Wisconsin did a good job as the game progressed coming in, bringing pressure off the edge, really challenging our tackles on offense and, and creating a, a, a protective pocket for him to throw from. And I thought that's really what wound up making the difference uh, and slowing the offense down is, is the blitz that Wisconsin was bringing and the pressure they were bringing really seemed to um, keep Nebraska off balanced and uncomfortable. Uh, but Chubba did a great job of protecting the ball in those situations. If, if he felt the pressure, you know, tucking the ball in, not trying to do too much, live to fight another down. And, and that's kind of what you need. Uh, and what this Nebraska team, I mean, you, you think how many games could that have uh, affected positively had turnovers been treated with that kind of respect. And rule talked a lot about how like they hammered that all week. And, and that's what was a huge focus, but like you got, you have a guy in who um, is able to process the way Chubba did. And, and you can see the difference that that could potentially make the, the interception, last week against Maryland for Chubba could potentially be an anomaly for him, right? With his decision-making. Um, he had, like you mentioned uh, earlier, one questionable throw where it could have been 
called an interception on the field and would have been difficult to overturn. It was called incomplete, so it was difficult to overturn. I think they confirmed it, actually. They they used the word confirm, but I was I, I was a little tight scrote on that one while I was, you know, watching the watching. I was like, oh, this could go either way. This could really open the whole thing wide up. But I, I thought his decision making was great. Um he had good chemistry with the receivers. Um and I thought that this actually receiver wise was one of Nebraska's best games. Um, not just, you know, when the guys were wide open, but making some difficult catches, laying out for balls, really giving a solid effort to support you know, their quote unquote third string quarterback who got the start. So I was impressed all around with the offensive effort. And I thought that uh, aside from when Nebraska was being pressured or when the play calling was questionable, I thought the offense moved the ball well last night. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. Thomas Fedoni and, and, and Coleman, I think they both went up and, and grabbed some balls and, and that's what you want to see. You got, I mean, they're big bodied receivers, right? You throw it up to them and let them go up and make the catch and, um, and they were able to do that. So that was, that was really nice to see. Um, we saw a lot of Anthony Grant in this game, him and Emmett Johnson pretty much split, uh, the backfield touches 50, 50. Um, but again, no, no turnovers there. And so, you know, outside of the interception thrown on that, that, you know, fourth down heave in overtime, um, maybe, yeah, maybe the biggest takeaway in this one is, is just how well Nebraska protected the ball. And and I think that, again, that goes back to, um, you know, not just the running backs holding on to it, but uh, Purdy making good decisions. Like you said, he's quick with his decisions. Um, I think once they bring in a, a full and a healthy receiving core, you'd like to see him probably make an extra read or two, you know, not just going one, two run. Um, but for right now with what he has available and where he is at in his development um, and, and in his, his preparations, um, again, having dealt with a lot of injuries you know, in the off season and through the season, I think you have to be really happy with, with how he did. And, and um, again, what he brings um, another, another uh, player I want to call was Billy Kemp um, who, who brought in eight catches. He only had 43 yards. Um, I think those 43 yards are more a testament to just what Wisconsin was able to do on defense in terms of, of swarming to him and targeting um, him, shedding. <laughs> yeah. There was a, there was an obvious target that was not called obviously on Wooler. Yeah. When your guy goes uh, down with a concussion protocol and, and there's no call. Yeah. Due to a helmet, direct helmet to helmet. Um, yeah, that was interesting, but, um, you know, obviously you hope Waller's okay and, and comes back healthy, but, um, that should have been called. Um, but either way, Billy Kemp, eight catches. He only had 43 yards. The the players, uh, Wisconsin's defense, were they were shedding blocks. They were getting to him. They were stopping him. But it also shows just, um, you know, how much they rely on Kemp to be that that go-to guy, the security blanket, the underneath guy, um, somebody that you can feed the ball to and and um, who they trust, um, and somebody who Purdy obviously has developed a really good, strong relationship with really quickly. Um, and I think that, you know, moving into the last game here against Iowa, that that might prove to be something that is is fruitful against a, a very tough secondary who is not going to give up in much in terms of uh, chunk plays. Yeah. One of the things that uh, came to my mind as far as this wide receiver core and, and Kemp I, I had was a factor, uh, I think, up until the, the uncalled targeting. Uh, and then he had that little knee or ankle tweak that I think really slowed him down uh, and, and kind of took him out of the game. And, and Wisconsin did a great job of, of really identifying him and, and just taking him away as a, as a safety net or as an option there. Um, Coleman um, went up, made a great catch. Fedoni went up and made a great catch. Lloyd obviously had the, had the nice touchdown where he uh, shed a tackle and, and just broke away. 
one of the things that I think is is forgotten is these freshman wide receivers that are out there playing as true freshmen, they didn't get uh, winter conditioning, right? They didn't get to go through the entire process, um, a lot of these guys. And what was the one thing that Rule said he was most excited to show off? Do you remember what he said? I who, do not. Who leads, who leads the Huskers out of the tunnel every week? Do you uh, know? Corey Campbell? Yeah, okay, so it's yeah. cool. oh, okay, okay. Okay. I'm, I'm leaning into this, right? He yeah. said the most excited thing he should show off is, is the conditioning. That these guys have gotten bigger, stronger, faster. And he lets Corey Campbell walk these guys out. And these guys have a great relationship with the strength and conditioning program at Nebraska under Matt Rule. And so I'm so excited to not just see the heart that these guys have this year, but to then put them through a strength and conditioning program because there was a couple of moments where like Wisconsin guys were bullying the wide receiver. On that, on that almost interception, there was a questionable, could have been pass interference because the guy just shoved Malachi out of bounds. Yeah, You put a little more muscle on these guys, give them a little more fight, a little more ferocious instead of just focusing solely on their speed, turn into Big Ten big body receivers. And I'm, I'm talking big body where they can be as physical as defenses are going to be against them. And I think the kind of growth we're going to see there is astronomical when they can fight for a spot on the field and be the bigger guy and be the bully and have the physicality to go up and make the catches they make. So that to me is the most exciting thing about these wide receivers is not what they're doing on the field now, but giving them a full cycle under this, under this staff in every facet that this staff brings to the table and seeing how that's going to pay dividends in the future. So that's, that's yeah. my excitement on that front. Uh, but you called him out, Coleman, Fedoni, um, you mentioned Anthony Grant. Um, I was also excited to see, you know, just whoever it was, it was mostly Kemp, but Nebraska finally using a slot receiver for the dink and dunk, right? For like taking the short passes, taking what's there. And I think part of that is it's been there. We've seen it on the, on the 22 where we're seeing the wide shot and we can see, you know, later the next couple of days after on social media where it's like, that guy was open, that guy was open, that guy was open. Well, when you have a quarterback like Purdy who's making those quick progressive reads, he finds those guys a lot easier. Uh, and yeah. you can then see the dividends of getting seven yards and then having a third and three where you can take a shot and at least to a touchdown or you can run away, you know. So um, I do think Purdy is an asset, one that hasn't been tapped into because of the groin injury um, and because, you know, Harburg had the hot hand and, and anyone would ride the hot hand on, on that front. That's momentum is huge in the sport of college football. Um, but I think that last night or say last night, obviously this comes out on Tuesday. I don't know what time it is. I've been trapped in my home for far too long. <laughs> uh, but I, but I think that Chuba adds a dimension to this offense where you have to at least give the shot against Iowa uh, and see what he brings. Because I think Chuba gives Nebraska a chance against Iowa. Uh, and this offense showed what they are capable of. And I think that the reason that the outcome, even though the turnover situation was vastly improved, when your special teams doesn't flip the field, it's like a turnover, right? Yep. As opposed to yep. going, you know, get, going three and out and then punting the ball down to the 15. When you give the ball back on the 50, you might as well have just fumbled. And so I think that's where the disconnect comes from, where it's like, well, if we didn't have the turnovers, we still lost the game. Why is that? Well, again, that's why I point my finger to special teams and say, you can't give the ball or let them, you know, return the ball 25 yards and then it's only a net 20 yard punt. So, yeah. I like, yeah. I like, I'm sorry that we were talking about offense and I was like, but also special teams. We take one more chance <laughs> to just walk through it's, that garden and stomp on the flowers. No, it's okay. It's almost like it's all connected and they yeah. all influence each other. Yeah. It's funny how that works. Yeah. 
All right, uh, so Nebraska's defense against uh, yeah. Wisconsin's offense. My first um, note was oof. Oof? Was it really? See, my okay. first note was oof. I, and, and can I tell you why my first note was oof? Yeah, that's a, that's tell a, me. That's an oof for tackling. I thought yep, okay. I thought tackling was rough, and Tanner Morgan or Tanner Morgan Tanner Mordecai uh, is a slippery motherfucker. That guy. <laughs> so growing up, um, we used to go to the Sarpy County Fair. You know this is going to be a good story when it starts at a county fair. <laughs> and they used to have a thing where, um, you could sign up to try and wrestle a grease pig, and if you got the pig to the ground, you got fifty bucks. And I just thought, man, Tanner Mordecai is a grease pig. He, he is hard to bring down. And that was just my greatest frustration is just like a scrambling quarterback. And I know that our quarterback was doing the exact same stuff, but I hate it. I hate watching other teams with mobile quarterbacks. Yep, I agree. Um, have we tried incentivizing the defense with like $50, maybe $50,000? You know, they like did that uh, in New Orleans and it did not end well. Really? Uh, yeah, the the Saints didn't they have like a a bounty program? Oh, I kind of, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, I I think yeah. that that didn't end well for Sean Payton being like. <laughs> but but in the Big Ten, I mean, if you get, uh, you know, if you get banned for a couple of games, it doesn't really matter. So yeah, right. You yeah. can still go on and play in in all your championship games. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I thought um same thing. I I pegged the defense as mixed results, and you know the missed tackles, the would be sacks. Um, the frustration of a running quarterback is there is nothing else like it. Um, to me, it was more frustrating because I know Mordecai can run like I, you know, he's, he's put up a couple hundred yards a season at SMU and, and, you know, now Wisconsin. Um, but it's, it's not like the way that Nebraska runs their quarterbacks. Like when, when, when you go up against a team with a running quarterback, like you expect those things, but when it's a spread offense, um, when you have a, a defense like ours that that has done a great job of containing all rushers, it just it eats at you like it really does. And so I can't even imagine what that does when you're actually playing the game. Um, that was the but that, those are the biggest things were, was the tackling and then the quarterback run game. Um, you know, I, I felt like this was still another game where the defense, even though they were a little bit off, and they still held Wisconsin to 17 through four quarters. They were still dealing with, you know, short field situations, not getting help from um, special teams. They did an okay job stopping running backs. Um, I think I think Wisconsin running backs combined for about 105 yards, um, which is, you know, good, not great. It was just one of those games where, yeah, the, the defense wasn't up to their standard. Yeah. Um, they've set the they've set the bar so high that I think for parts of the game and especially with the offense jumping out to a 14 0 lead and, and spotting them, you know, spot, essentially spotting our defense 14 points um, with the way that things progressed during the game, it almost felt easy to blame a lot on the defense um, or to feel like, like they were the ones costing us the game. Um, but but in hindsight, now that everything's kind of wrapped up, I, I feel like um they were the ones keeping us in it really yeah. through the end again so. yeah okay so i would i i'll take away one of the o's of my oof so it's just of instead of oof <laughs> you know yeah yeah of course of. <laughs> yeah. uh I, I still think there were some great individual performances uh ty robinson mm-hmm. and nash hutmacher um uh, had a great yeah. game nash was was a bully right over that center 
Uh, I was I was just waiting for a snap to go just a little bit too wide and really blow up an entire uh, an entire possession for Wisconsin. I I thought it was going to happen, um, and then Ty was just a monster moving around. Uh, the the first touchdown that Wisconsin scored, where Ty was supposed to drop back into coverage, but Byer was also out of position. I mean that was kind of a weird one. I think Rule touched on that too, where. Uh, this defense is so specific in how it has to attack that if if one person is out of place, everything is out of place. Like if if we crash one direction and uh, a guy goes the wrong way, like it just opens up a huge opportunity. And you you saw that you saw that breakdown. And uh, when you have a quarterback like Tanner Mordecai who can find those those holes and is confident enough in his legs to extend the play and, and wait for something to develop, I mean he's he's gonna take advantage of that. Um, but you know this coaching staff rule says it all the time football is a game of mistakes and it's who can who can minimize their mistakes the most and that was one of those where uh wisconsin was able to take advantage of it uh but on top of those two i thought lenhart and princewell were playing a great game as well i thought that defensive line actually played a decent game just the tackling was was suspect there were so many opportunities to get mordecai down in the backfield even before he scampered away and they just couldn't get him to the ground And, and and that was one of those frustrating things where Part of that is experience with the quarterback, um, and I'm going to give probably like 70% of the credit to Mordecai on being able to shed those, being able to step aside, being able to stand tall, um, and then 30% of that is, you know, just missed tackles and, and you know, poor tackling. Yeah. Um, other guys I would shout out were Buford, Gifford, and Reimer. I thought they all had great games. Um, I think Buford led in tackles. Um, Ty Robinson was the one that that I think was the most evident in terms of how he was impacting the game up front. Like you said, Nash had a big game. Um, if it wasn't for the bad snaps and the, and the, the um, commentators, you know, remarking on, on Nash's impact, it would have been one of those games where it was a very quiet, you know, quiet game for him in the yeah. sense that, that you don't realize the impact that he's having necessarily because he's not making the plays. He's not um, getting the tackles he's not the one getting in the backfield but he's he's being that disruptive force and again we've talked about it a lot like that's where the the success of this defense starts is right there at his position right on right on top of the the center and so um yeah it, it was it was a nice game um in terms of getting after the quarterback it was just not nice in terms of finishing yeah all around so um yeah uh i think when you talk about this was a game of, of solid individual performances here and there, but never that one big play that one, like, you know, there were the, the fourth quarter or the, excuse me, the fourth down stops. There were a couple of those that were huge. Um, I think Phelan Sanford had one. And then I think it was Buford who had the other. Um, and those feel like those could have been like those sort of like maybe those game changing stops that you could point to had they won. But overall, there wasn't ever a huge momentum swinging play from anybody. There wasn't the turnover um, or anything like that. And so it felt like a game of just like some standout performances that were solid. But but yeah, again, just nothing that was just that put them over the top. Yeah. So it's even more frustrating uh-huh. when Wisconsin's defensive coordinator look or offensive coordinator looks like he looks. Is Phil Longo not the most like <laughs> like, I don't know, defensive coordinators, right? They're like these grungy grimy like you know salt of the earth kind of looking motherfuckers and then your your offensive coordinator like I don't know to me Bob Diaco looks like an offensive coordinator if that makes sense or or like a a, a PJ Fleck looks like an offensive coordinator where like they always wear a tie 
and a quarter zip. And then you've got like Phil Longo who looks like he sells propane in Texas, <laughs> like a Hank Hill. You know what I mean? Like yeah. with that buzz cut where his head is higher than his buzz cut. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Or like the, the crown of his skull should be is like above his hairline. Like, how is that yeah. guy an offensive coordinator? And yet, here we are. So that was frustrating too. Where I was like, I don't like that guy. Just like, yep. oh nope. <laughs> so, um, this so this this maybe is is unfair. Um, and and I think that you offered some some valid points about you know really strong individual performance. And they did hold Wisconsin to 17 points in regulation. They did what was asked of them, right? Like. Rule has said 24 points is what it takes to win a lot of games in the Big Ten, right? And so his defense is living up to that number, and they have game after game after game. And then you go look at, like, um, Michigan playing a Maryland team, and Maryland scores more points against Michigan than they did against Nebraska, right? So there's a lot of credit uh, to this Nebraska defense where they are they are doing what they need to do to win games in this conference. And moving forward, like, that should be very promising. My, my big concern when Tony White was hired on with this 335 was what's going to happen when guys line up jumbo against this and they run and we saw that with Wisconsin there was a moment there was a good stretch where it was just keep away right where we're just going to run and run and run until you load the box and eventually stop it and that to me was where I was like oh my gosh are we finally seeing the chinks in the armor where finally this 335 can't keep up with what a real big 10 offense who just wants to run down your fucking throat Eventually, Nebraska did get to their stops. That's why you have big bodies like a, a Nash and a Ty who can get in, and then you have these these corners who are built like linebackers who can then break through and, and make those initial stops. Or a guy like Phelan Sanford, who's maybe all of five foot nine, who can stand up Braylon Allen um, for for a loss on a fourth down play, which was insane. Um, yeah, that that was one of the plays where my wife was very concerned. She was like, "Is that is he okay?" I was like, "He does that to cattle. He's he'll be fine." <laughs> like, She's like, is that not targeting? I go, no, his head was literally straight up and down. He did not launch. It was, it was a, it was, beautiful. it was just beautiful. I hope he's okay. Yeah. Cause it clearly hurt. Like that was not a, a fun well, feeling for him and he had to go off the field, but um, yeah, what, what an incredible play in a, in a key moment. And in a win, we look back and we go, that was the moment we won the game, you know, in a loss, it just gets forgotten almost. Um, but yeah, that was, that was an incredible play to really stuff them and get the ball back to Nebraska to give it, give a shot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and when you talk about the three, three, five and the jumbo offense and all the up going up against it, um, it, there was a time where Wisconsin, it was like watching an old Wisconsin, Nebraska game where they were, they were just, they were cramming it down our throats, but at the same time, they, they, Nebraska did time and again, show up and, and make the stop. And they, they made stops on, on fourth and short. Um, I know that, there was a lot of, a lot made of um, Wisconsin operating entirely out of the shotgun um, all game, uh, not being able to line up under center. And maybe that, maybe that might've made a difference here and there, but um, I think, I think that the Tony White's um, antidote to that is, is by having so many bodies available and so many guys um, developed with, with specialties with things that they're just great at and he I think he identifies those things and he accentuates them and so you see you know you see him rotating in packages in certain situations and getting a guy like uh, like Riley Van Poppel on the field in in situations to to stop the run and um 
And I, so I think that, I mean, he's, he's very aware, right? He's, mm -hmm. he, he knows what he brought to the big 10 and what the big 10 offers in terms of, of run games. Um, I think the next week, um, you know, we'll talk about Iowa a little bit, but they, they like to run two tight end sets, obviously, and, and, you know, extend their line. And so we'll really find out a little bit more, um, even in the last game about what this defense does against a run, a run game like that. But, um, I thought, yeah, I'm, I, it still doesn't, it does not concern me anymore. Like, like his, his three, three, five and how it will fit in this, in this league. Yeah. It's worth. Um, I, I guess what I, what I didn't say there was I, I was wrong yet again. I've been proven, I've been proven wrong. My, my concern okay. and, and frustrations because eventually Nebraska, they bowed and they, they did what they needed to do. And, you know, the Illinois game was felt like a, a chance that it happened right? When we had that goal line stop against Illinois, it's like, okay, this three, three, five, like they know what's going on. Why would you not run it on, you know, third, fourth and goal and, and the, the one centimeter line, whatever. Um, but Wisconsin's a different beast, right? Where they can do this. They have the bodies. Wisconsin's going to be getting away from this, right? Like their, their linemen that they start to recruit are not going to be prototypical Wisconsin linemen. If they're going to run an air raid offense, they're going to be pass protection instead of run guys. So they're going to be getting away from it. But the question is, like, who who else is going to? You know, Minnesota is someone who likes to bring in those jumbo bodies. Iowa likes to bring in the jumbo bodies. Northwestern, to an extent, likes to bring in those jumbo bodies. How is the Big Ten evolving uh, with bringing in the guys, you know, the Oregons, the, the Washingtons, the USCs, the UCLAs? Are we going to see ourselves getting away from that? And so it's going to be a, a mute point? Or is this something where, like, we're still going to have to worry about these three teams who are a pain in the ass who – everyone else can throw the ball around the yard. And then these three guys can just run the ball. And, and the way that Nebraska under rule has shaped up wanting to be a, a run heavy team that can open the field downfield makes you think that in practice, they're going to be well-versed against both sides. And so even though there were times where it was like, why are we not shutting out Wisconsin? You have to be realistic and go, teams are going to score points. It's just, you know, can you limit the damage? And Nebraska was able to limit the damage even when, Braylon Allen was finding a rhythm and was running downhill on them with these big bodies in there to block for him. Um, they were able to find stops when they needed to. So I'm wrong. The guys who get paid $8 million a year to figure this shit out are right. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm going to eat some crow on that one. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, what, what say you, uh, should we grab another drink and then, uh, turn our attention towards the, I don't even want to, I don't want to, like, I don't even like them. We're going to have to say their name a few I know times we are. in the future. I know so we are. Here's, you want to know something really it. funny? Here's something really funny. So uh, we were watching at home before the Nebraska game. We were watching Illinois, Iowa. And I was explaining to my kids the importance of this game, right? If if Illinois wins, if the gray team, because they, they look at the score bug. I said, if the gray team wins, then Nebraska, if they win, has a chance to play in the championship game. If the if the team Iowa, the black and the gold team, if they win, um, then Nebraska doesn't get to play in the championship game. And so my boys were like, okay, they were rooting for Illinois. And then I pissed off my four-year-old, probably because I didn't let him jump off the top of our house or something like that. Something completely <laughs> insane. And he goes, I want Iowa. And I was like, oh, stop no. it. <laughs> he, he knew he knew it would cut me to my core. And so yep. that's what he kept saying. And then when Iowa won, he cheered. 
Oh no, he cracked the code, man. He, he figured it, it out. He figured it out. He broke oh, me. Oh man. Yeah. He, he gave me COVID this week. He, <laughs> he took away my ability to go to the Iowa game on Black Friday. He took away, well, I mean, he did, you know, he did fix Thanksgiving for me. Um, <laughs> but I will have missed six days of work. <laughs> like, he he really threw a wrench into the system and then to top it all off, like the cherry on top, he was like, and also, I'm a Brian Ferentz fan. It's like, <laughs> a boy. Yeah, way to, way, wow. to, way to hurt your old man. All right, we are back with our second round of drinks. Uh, Drew, I have got something here that is absolutely crushing it. Um, and that is a riff on a cocktail called The Last Word, which is typically a gin and green chartreuse. Uh, I had you sample green chartreuse at my house the other day. It's kind of like a, an IPA in a, in, a, um, in a liqueur, right? It's got yeah. hoppy notes. It's got a lot of herbaceous notes. It's got peppery notes. It's got citrus notes. It's got all these things. So typically they pair that with gin and with lemon juice and with maraschino liqueur, um, I replaced the gin for Golden Sheaf whiskey that's port finished. Uh, we had that very early on this season. Uh, I think when we were talking maybe about the spring game, um, but this pairs so well. The the lime with the maraschino with the whiskey with the green chartreuse it just all comes together. This is a knockout uh, little cocktail, and it kind of it kind of tastes a little bit like an IPA that someone dropped. Uh, a shot of bourbon into and so i'm not gonna be mad at, at any of those of those ideas but uh, what are you drinking no I, I was gonna say that sounds like you took like really great components and created something you know bigger than the sum of its parts yeah it sounds I'm, really good i'm loving it um so i'm i'm uh i got another jukes uh beer here this one's called ossuary it's a uh check it's a dark lager so uh, it's a tamave pivo is the the beer style which i have never never heard of um it turns out that uh it's actually a pretty rare style um a lot of the beers you get out of out of uh czech republic are obviously like pilsners the pale lagers that's what they're known for um but yeah tamave pivo is a dark lager um i did a little research on it just to figure out kind of what it was before getting into it um it was it's a style that's inspired by the munich dunkel um, but it's going to be more complex with its malt pro profile. So whereas with the Dunkel, you maybe see like three different types of malt. This uh, this beer, you might see five to six. Um, and so you're going to find a lot more, um, yeah, just complex uh, flavors in that malt. And so Jukes, the way they describe ossuary, it's uh, flavors and aromas of light baker's chocolate, medium roast coffee, and rye bread ornately come together to produce an artfully crafted resting place at a humble 5.9% ABV. Um, if ossuary, if you don't know, is uh, it's a container or a room in which the bones of the dead. Oh my God, Kyle. Replaced. <laughs> right. We did the, we did the Kymer Kolsch not too long ago. Um, which was a nod to the the golden chamber. Oh my god! <laughs> so you know they keep it consistent um, in terms of uh, apparently how they name beer, but also in, in just the the quality of the what they're churning out here. Um, this it's this one hits it on the nose. The um, the roastiness of it definitely comes through, but it drinks so light, like it drinks really? so light, like a lager. It's incredible. Um, so it's almost, yeah, it's almost like the, the beer gets out of its own way just to accentuate those roast qualities, um, and, uh, and drinks 
very, very easily. So. Um, what's what's the sweetness level like? Because you talked about a lot of components like the baker's chocolate, the rye bread. Like, is there a lot of sweetness to it? Is it is it well balanced? Is there a bitterness to it? Like, where where does that fall? Um, I think it falls a little bit more on the bitterness to towards bitterness. Um, there's a light sweetness that comes off of it. Um, right now, honestly, like with I've got I've got my own little uh congestion issues going on so it's probably coloring wonderful time of the year (laughs) yeah right tastes slightly of dayquil (laughs) (laughs) yeah i pick up i pick up a lot more on the bitterness than i do the sweetness um but nothing is nothing really like jumps out or or overwhelms any which direction so so well balanced might be the best way to put it nice my next cocktail is going to be two mucinex dissolved in a uh grapefruit (laughs) lacroix That's apparently what we need the most on this. Uh, but speaking of uh, stomach flus, let's talk about Iowa. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> things that make us want to vomit. Uh, let's let's oh, talk yeah. about this matchup, right? Uh, yet again, yeah. Nebraska takes on in this in this tradition game of a rivalry game on Black Friday. Uh, Nebraska will be taking on the Iowa Hawkeyes at home for Nebraska Senior Day. Kickoff is scheduled for 11 a.m. Let's get it out of the way. You know, let's move on. Come home from Black Friday <laughs> shopping. Watch this game. Eat your leftovers. Have a blast. Uh, have you looked at the the line yet? Please no, t- I have to imagine it. The the over under is underwhelming. Oh, I've got both we for you. Be setting records. I've got yeah. both for you. So, what do you want to guess first? You want to guess the the points total, or do you want to guess the the spread? Um, I'll guess the spread first. I think the points total is going to be hilarious. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna say I'm gonna. I think it's gonna be. I think Iowa will open as two and a half point favorites. Okay. Okay. Do you want me to give you the answer or you want to guess the spread first? Um, and then I think for the spread or excuse me, the total, the total. The 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 over the total over under, I am willing to bet it opens at like twenty six and a half. Oh my gosh. I think it's fucking insanely low. You are one off on both. So Iowa opened as a one and a half point favorite. Okay. Uh, and this obviously we're recording on Sunday, comes out Tuesday, so that line may move by that time. Uh, the over under is at 27 and a half, which I think if not is setting a record is tying a record for lowest points total, which yeah. I don't know if it's if that's fair. You know, you look at uh, what Nebraska just put up against Wisconsin, which I think is a pretty decent defense, especially with how they like to bring pressure like we talked about and, and how they're able to um, consistently shut down the passing game. Um, Nebraska putting up 17 points, I don't think is anything to scoff at on a Wisconsin team. And Iowa just put up 15 points. You know, you add those two together. I think you got to hammer the over, right? You got to, you got to nail this over. This is going to be a, a 30 point, 30 point game. Maybe (laughs) Iowa, Iowa has been every, every week for like the past five weeks, they've, they've reset their own record for, for lowest over under, um, I think I'm pretty sure they think, yeah, they're involved in like the top five lowest over unders and they're, and they're all under 30. I get it. I mean, you know, you look at, you look at how poorly these offenses have done in terms of scoring output and yardage. Um, and then the defenses are obviously stingy. Um, Iowa's defense has given up like 12 points a game. Um I understand why you set the betting total that low. I don't think that, I mean, obviously the betting total isn't ind- indicative of, of what the actual outcome will be, um, but it more of, of what you would expect uh, from th- this matchup. And so personally, honestly, I would, I would take the over if it's set at what, 27 and a half, 27 I would and take a half. The over. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a rivalry game. Um, 
you know, Iowa's got everything in the bag as far as like what they wanted out of their regular season. They wanted to to clinch their division. They did that. Um, Nebraska's obviously playing for something. They're playing for the for their bowl game. Um, and then both these teams are going to be playing for for rivalry for for pride. Um, for that heroes trophy that's been sitting on our secretary's <laughs> desk apparently at the Nebraska right? football Just department. Sitting out, yeah. yeah, sitting out in the open. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that the, you could see some you know some some crazy plays here and there, and then that that high energy and and that extra little oomph that people bring to these sorts of games uh tends to produce some some interesting results just like we saw last year with a with a three-win Nebraska team coming away with a win at Iowa City so yeah I got I got a question for you before we dive into the specifics um I'm I'm curious because when I look at social media uh and when I look at kind of the conversation around things and even our conversation as we're talking about Wisconsin and we were looking talking about you know like what to look forward to uh moving into the 2024 season you know um, it kind of feels like this game is is more or less a coda as opposed to really a part uh, of the regular season. Are, are, are both sides, are the fandom, are we kind of all looking past this game? Um, is Iowa looking past this game? So here's here's my question for you. Let's let's just hypothetically say a 10 and two Iowa team goes into the Big Ten championship game and upsets the Big Ten East and wins the Big Ten championship. Does an eleven and two Big Ten champion Iowa make the playoff? Do you think that that's possible with the other teams that are out there, with no. the, the SEC, with what's going on with some of the Pac twelve teams, with that sort of thing? Yeah, no, I don't think there's any way because you're gonna have at that point you'd have two one loss teams out of the East in Ohio State and Michigan, who are, right? Who've been consensus top four teams all year, right? You'd have you'd have the winner of the SEC in either Georgia or Alabama. So potentially an undefeated SEC or two one-loss SEC teams. And then you'd also have Washington, um, likely undefeated, maybe with one loss. You'd have Florida State, likely undefeated, maybe with one loss, minus their quarterback. Um, Colorado. (laughs) (laughs) With their Heisman contenders. You've got a four-win Colorado team. (laughs) God, hasn't it been good? Hasn't been good to watch that. God has been good. Yes, you are right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, yeah, no, I yeah, Iowa in the playoffs is. I can't even imagine what it would take. What sort of chaos there would have to be to get them in? That would be an incredible accomplishment. Um, Yeah, it's not way outside the realm of possibilities. I just don't. I don't see it happening. So, so I'm. I, I guess my question is, why? Why does Iowa wake up for this game? You know what I mean. Like, what? What gets them going when they've got a huge monumental task ahead of them, where they do stand the opportunity? And and I don't think that uh, when you look at the outcome of the the Michigan and Maryland game, when you look at um, how Ohio State has had some troubles with their quarterback play, you know, depending on who wins that. Uh, that uh, Ohio State and Michigan game who goes on to the Big Ten championship game uh, against Iowa, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibilities that this Iowa team can shut down the opposing offense. It's it's can they put up enough points to get the job done? Like, I realistically think they almost won the Big Ten West a week too early. The way that uh, that this shapes up for them moving into that Big Ten championship game. Now, that's not me saying, you know, Nebraska's going to roll and it's the, they're going to be a pushover in this Iowa game. 
it's just there when you watch that Iowa game and you watch it and there was a lot of like re- relief and and like just tension dissipating from the Ferenzes and like they felt like mission accomplished. And so I think yeah. to turn around on a short week to go up against maybe hopefully I'm praying a hungry Nebraska team that wants to go out and take this sixth win against a, a rivalry that has been lopsided for so long, even with last year's win, like that doesn't matter in the grand scheme, right? So I, I'm just, I, I'm curious. I'm not trying to point fingers or, or say like, I don't think Iowa is going to be ready for this game because that's not the Ferentz way. They're going to be ready. Um, and this defense is going to show up. They've got an incredibly stout defense. Uh, I'm just wondering, are they going to be as ready or up for this game as they will be for the game that takes place in two weeks? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Glad, I'm No, I'm glad you said that because I thought that same thing. I watched um, a lot of that Iowa-Illinois game and, and um, you know, watched them after they won. They gave they gave Brian Ferentz the Gatorade bath. And, and noogie. It was, it was, yeah, <laughs> it muscled up his hair. Um, it was a, it was an emotional experience for them and, and you could see, um, you know, the pride in Kirk Ferentz, um, and all that, you know, you know, giving Brian the hug and blah afterwards, um, you know, just the fucking nepotism shining through. Um, but it was, it was an emotional moment for them. And, and so you do wonder if there won't be that little dip, just that little dip in emotion and that little letdown just enough to, um to give nebraska that opening where they're going to come in with energy with a lot more on the line um at home um and you you'd hope that that would be something that at least benefits nebraska um i'm i'm on the same page with you that i that i think that um iowa is buttoned up enough they they understand like they it, this is not like their first time being here um they understand like how how to approach you know yeah. a game from game to game i don't i don't think that it means that they will be way off i think that though that there is a, an at least an opportunity there for nebraska to maybe play with some leverage um from an emotional point of view i wouldn't be surprised if this game gets off to a similar start as the wisconsin game got off to nebraska gets up early and i think that this again is this is one of those like hey we got a learning opportunity here right how does Nebraska respond after a week where they got up an early lead and uh, and then that slowly was chipped away at by the opposing team. Well, this is a, an offense that you should be able to contain, but they're going to play the field position game and they're going to wait for their opponent to make mistakes. I have in my notes that Iowa is uh, my dad playing ping pong, right, where he's not going to force <laughs> anything, but when mistakes happen, he capitalizes, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that to me is kind of like, the MO of, of this Iowa team. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, and that's how they pull off the win against an Illinois team, right? Is they just, they sit and they wait and they wait and they wait and then they strike when the opportunity's there. Um, so I'm just, I'm just curious how that, how that's going to look. I think Nebraska could come out hot. They have come out hot against Iowa for the past three seasons. You know, two years ago, Nebraska came out, had a really early lead on Iowa. It was one of those where it was like, we're going to finally break the streak. And then Iowa slowly chipped away Last year, even though Nebraska gets the 24-17 win, Iowa was creeping back into that game. I know that we were both there. I had my phone out. I was checking win probabilities, even though I'm standing in the fucking stadium (laughs) watching this game take place. Like, what are the odds? And then Chris Corvillick gets the interception, goes down, and we win the game. But again, Nebraska gets off to these hot starts against Iowa. 
finds a way to, to build this lead. And then Iowa is just relentless. They're not going to go away. They're going to be this team that's got this, this pride on their shoulder. So even if, you know, for the first half of the game, they're overlooking this opponent. Um, I think that there's, there's, uh, opportunities here for, for both teams to get caught in a complacency trap. And so I'm just, I'm just eager and curious to see how this thing plays out. Yeah. Yeah. And we, and we know, um, you know, 14 to nothing against Wisconsin wasn't enough. Um, and I, and if you get a hot start against Iowa this year, it's two great drives and you're, you're up six to nothing. I think that you could qualify <laughs> two great drives. Start. You're up nothing to nothing. And you <laughs> yeah, just, like <laughs> they just have the, you know, field position. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's what it is against Iowa is, is, um, the, the victories are a lot smaller. They, they shrink those margins. Um, like you said, it's just what they do and then, and they hang around. So, um, so whatever, so yeah, I don't know. I would, I would feel, um, I would feel like that was more important, um, to, to get off to a quote unquote hot start. Um, if we hadn't just witnessed what we did against Wisconsin this last week, yeah, you know, um, the hot start, because the hot, it wasn't just the offense. Like the defense was off to a great start mm-hmm. um, against Wisconsin too. They had a couple of really great, great, um, you know, just they just shut down Wisconsin's drives. They didn't let them get anything going. And so, uh, yeah. So against Iowa, I I don't know how much it means. Obviously, you don't want to fall behind. You don't want to have to be playing from behind against their defense with with our offense. But, um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I think I do. I do still think that energy and and what what each team brings um, in that sense. Uh, I think that matters. I think yeah. that matters in this game. Well, let's, let's talk specifics. Um, Iowa's offense. What, what is there to say? I think, I think there's, I think Iowa's offense is very interesting. And, and I think that their offensive philosophy this year um, is the reason that they have drawn such ire and such frustration and why Brian Ferentz isn't coming back. And and I think it's because Iowa's offense is the opposite of greedy. Um, I don't know if you want to call them indifferent. I don't know if you want to just call them you know complacent. But when you watch Iowa, they're only going for as many yards as they need on any given down. So if it's third and five, they're going to try and get five and a half. If it's third and one, they're going to try and get one and a half. As opposed to you know playing the situations, they're they're never an offense again that's going to go out there and try and force anything. They're going to take what's given, and they're only you know they're just trying to move the sticks. That's it. Like that's their game plan because every first down for Iowa is like a point because that's a little bit further that Tory Taylor has the opportunity to then punt, and their defense can put you in a bad situation. And so, like, as you watch this team and you watch them process, like, oh, you look at it and it's like, this is unimpressive. But if they're getting a first down, like, that's their goal. And it's and it's so uh, awful. Like, I, there's not even a word for it. Yeah. But yet, it's, it's, it's this beautiful symphony of brown notes making people shit their pants. Like, it's just <laughs> insane. It's incredible. It's incredible how horrendous they are and yet how absolutely comfortable and confident they are with like within themselves and who they want to be and just executing like they they accomplish i feel like what they set out to do it's it's not a who they want to be it's who they are they're like we embrace that this is us and fuck you like that's it (laughs) and it works it does they have nine wins (laughs) 
they do it consistently. Um, I I mean, that's kind of my note for for Nebraska's defense against this offense is for for Nebraska's defense to hold serve. Yeah. Um, we know that we know what Iowa wants to do. We we all you want is just for them not. We don't want Iowa to look better than they have all year. Um, in terms of scoring, in terms of output, in terms of possessing the ball, in terms of controlling the field, all Nebraska's defense has to do is hold serve, um, and then allow our offense to do whatever they're capable of doing, and then hope that our special teams shows up and, and is able to compete with what Iowa's special teams is able to do. And then the other thing is, I think that that our defense needs to create at least one huge turnover, one momentum shifting play um, to, to, to shorten the field, to get Nebraska uh, possession back, to um, stop Iowa from, from scoring something, something huge um, to make Iowa pay for being what they are. Cause that's the thing is like they, Iowa just never has to pay for it. Right. They're so sound on defense and special teams that their offense does not ever have to pay for being unable to score. Sure. And so if, if, if Nebraska can do that one time in this game, I think that, that, you know, potentially is a difference maker. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I also think that Nebraska needs to contain the big play. And that's something that like Iowa has surprisingly found points on in key moments. You look at the Illinois game as the most recent example when Caleb Johnson runs for a 33-yard touchdown to seal that game. And that same thing happened against uh, Nebraska. I think that was their first touchdown against Nebraska last year is Caleb Johnson runs for a long touchdown. And and again, this is an offense that is going to be punishing because they are trying to just get three yards, four yards, three yards, four yards, and they're trying to wear your defense out until that, that big shot comes through and they break away and they just get enough separation to get it done. And so they have guys that are capable of doing that. Um, I don't feel like their offensive line is as dominant in the run game as years past, but I do think that they've actually emerged as a decent pass blocking offensive line and given Deacon Hill time um, to make things happen in the pocket. So I think that uh, this, this offense does have an opportunity to be disruptive or excuse me, Nebraska's defense has an opportunity to be disruptive, uh, really contain the run game that Iowa wants to hang their hat on. Uh, and then force Deacon Hill into situations where he does have to make something happen. And he's not the kind of guy that's going to make something happen with his legs. Um, but he does show time after time, unfortunately, that he can make something happen with his arms. Uh, it, it, it just doesn't happen a lot. Like he's going to get one or two chances a game. And he's shown us that he can get it done time after time. Like it's, I can't like, I know that I'm sounding disjointed when I talk, but Iowa is such an anomaly when you watch them uh, that they do just, they eke these things out with zero panic, right? Yeah. Like there's just zero. No, I, like, know, I know what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying. I know saying. you know what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I see you laughing on the screen as you're like, you're smiling and smirking. You're like, yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, um, it's no, like yeah, Maryland's defense. I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. And yet it's this symphony that somehow comes together and makes harmony. Yeah, it it all it all works. Um, I would say, yeah, Deacon Hill has, um, you know, he's coming obviously with with Cade McNamara being injured, and the past three games, he's he's not put up crazy numbers, 
um, throwing the ball, but he he's at he's floating right around that 66, 67%, complete, you know, two out of every three passes completion. Um, you know, had one game, I think was like 50 yards total. And then he had the only game where an Iowa quarterback has thrown for over 200 this this year. And so um he is he is very much in line with the I'll take what you will give me type quarterback. Like you said, he's not gonna he's not gonna run the ball. He can. He did uh, against he, Illinois. He, he, yeah, he ran and everyone give, right and everyone's TV like, exploded. Everybody's mind exploded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um he he certainly can. I don't I don't foresee that being a threat. I was not gonna build that into their game plan um the way that they, that Wisconsin did with uh Mordecai and and just all those fucking draw plays. Um so I don't I don't think it's something that Nebraska has to worry about, but it's something that you still need to be aware of. Um, you don't want to entirely like vacate the middle of the field and watch this fucking dude who's like total dad bod. He looks like he he he's like 35, 40 years old, um, yeah. has no business running the ball. Um, but he he'll do it if, if respect he needs to. so much respect um, for yeah. that. <laughs> fuck fuck they conditioning. Do, speaking of yeah, <laughs> speaking of running the ball, they do like to one of the things that they love to do with him um is they'll roll roll him out on bootlegs and naked bootlegs. Um Kirk. Or, uh, Brian Brian likes to do a lot of play action. Let's let's not um, kid ourselves. Kirk likes to Kirk. do that. <laughs> okay, yeah. Kirk likes to tell and Brian. Brian is good at to, saying yeah. what his dad said. <laughs> oh yes, dad. My dad told me. <laughs> uh, so they will they'll roll they'll roll Deacon Hill out a lot on these naked bootlegs. Um, you know they'll do the play action. They'll try to get your defense moving one direction, um, and then have Hill roll out and and try to find that open receiver. Um, so that's something that Nebraska's defense is going to have to be disciplined. Um, watch out for that misdirection. Um, you talked about Caleb Johnson. Um, you know, he's not had the year as a, uh, at running back that he thought he would. He was slated to be their starter. Um, I think he dropped all the way down to number three on their depth chart. Uh, LaShawn Williams has, has kind of uh, taken over that role recently, but um, both of those guys – uh, Williams and Johnson both provide really strong options for them. Um, you know who you know, I really like in, in that in that run game is Patterson as well. He's a he's quite the downhill aggressive runner. You know he fits that prototypical Big Ten style. Um, and I think in an offensive line that hasn't been as efficient in the run game as Iowa would want them to be in years past, um, there's some key moments where Patterson has come through and really exploded through that line too. Runs similar to a Braylon Allen, right? Where he's not going to be your breakaway guy, but he is going to be your damaging guy. And so I think Iowa's got a real complimentary running back room. You know, you got a guy like Caleb Johnson, like you said, who hasn't been in the mix the way he wants to be, but still has that explosiveness. And so they've got some real complimentary running ability. Um, and I, and I think that they're poised to have that game where it all comes together uh, against a Nebraska defense who prides themselves on stopping the run. So I think this is a really good matchup as far as how the run game fits into this and a good test for Nebraska's secondary, who's had some struggles against quarterbacks who do like to air it out and being in the right place at the right time or making key plays against that. Um, you mentioned the the bootleg. I actually think Deacon Hill has a pretty smooth ball fake um, because he does move at such a calm pace. That's my nice way of saying slow. Um <laughs> <laughs> his his ball fake is very convincing, right? Because he's not trying to rush into things. He's not trying to let the fake play out. We saw that Nebraska is able to get to the quarterback against a pretty stout pass protective offensive line. This could be an opportunity where Deacon Hill does get caught in situations where Nebraska bringing that corner blitz in uh, could take advantage of those opportunities. So 
Um, I'd like to see a, a heavy dose of putting pressure on Deacon Hill and making him uh, force those those passes, making him speed things up, get out of his rhythm, or have Iowa try and lean on their run game a little bit more uh, and take away that opportunity to do what you said, which is force errors, force Iowa yeah. to put in a situation where they're not used to, which is being the mistake makers, right? Like that's that's one thing you're not going to see from an Iowa team is, is fuck-ups uh, yeah. because they are so vanilla in a sense i mean there's there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on with iowa to call them vanilla is not really fair but there's um there's something vanilla to their strategy which is to just do the things we do well and only stick to that we'll try and disrupt that and see what your defense can take away yeah yeah i think i think things like that those delayed blitzes um with an exposed quarterback uh who's not mobile um they have the opportunity opportunity to pay off and so um, you could definitely see Nebraska kind of making some hay there. And then, like you said earlier, their offensive line, they've been dinged up. They've been dealing with injuries. Um, they've, they've shorted up a little bit. I think that they had some, some depth pieces, some inexperienced guys who have filled in. Okay. Especially like at their center spot. Um, but again, it, it's just not up to what you would normally expect um, from Iowa. And so there is going to be opportunity Again, for a for a Nebraska defense that is going to be playing with with everything on the line in front of the home crowd, it's senior day. Um, I know Nebraska doesn't have a ton of seniors, um, you know, who are who are even on this roster, uh, let alone playing in this game. But but there's going to be that that extra little boost there. Um, so I think we're going to see some some opportunity, like you said, to to, to get after Deacon Hill. And um, I don't know if if you're necessarily going to force the bad passes um but at least forcing maybe some throwaways and some some incompletions and and getting them to be behind schedule yeah uh more often than not it that that should be enough to at least keep it competitive how funny would it be at nebraska senior day if we had like one senior (laughs) (laughs) they're close to it man like I know it's, it's hard with, um, with the COVID and the transfer stuff. Like it's yeah. hard to keep track of that. I think we, I, I honestly think, I think we only have like a dozen listed seniors on this roster. Well, I think there's going to be some questions too on, on certain guys. Like, do they classify themselves as a senior? They've been at Nebraska long enough. Do they walk on senior day? You know, the, one of those, you get those, right. those tweets and stuff like take from this what you will, but so-and-so is not walking as a senior today and that sort of thing. Yep. But like you look at a guy like Chubba Purdy, who's played four years of football and they're like, he's a sophomore. He's like, a sophomore. I don't yeah. understand math anymore. Apparently, like this doesn't make oh, any man. sense. Can I? Can I? So, we, you want to talk about your wife and watching football with her? Don't you uh, keep your wife? Keep my wife's <laughs> name was, out of your mouth. My no, <laughs> my wife listens. I'll I'll talk about it. She was asking me. We were we were watching the game together. Uh, she was asking me all sorts. What's Chuba's real name? What year is he? Why is he only a sophomore if he's been here for four years? What are the overtime rules? Like she. I love that she asks questions and my kids do the same thing. They ask where they're very curious. They want to know. And I want to, I want to provide that information. Uh, just not in the fucking moment, like <laughs> trying to watch a game. It's over. It's over time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's still knotted up. Well, why is Wisconsin? Why are, why is Nebraska choosing to be on defense? Okay. Well, why are they starting so close to the goal? Why is there no clock right now? What's like, it's just all these questions. And it's like, I, I, yeah. Anyway, it's just funny that you, that you brought up Chubba Purdy being a fourth year sophomore that yeah. came up Did uh, it? during the game, during the game, in the were middle you, of the game. Were you like, well, <laughs> f- for one, he gets a red shirt year and for two, the COVID year doesn't COVID, exist. Yep. 
and then yeah, and there's and so now so he's had two years. He transferred in. So I explain I explained all that, and then I said, "Stop asking me questions. Listen to the podcast on Tuesday. You'll get everything that you need to know out of it." Did you say? Um, Does is your phone broken? (laughs) Yeah, right. Does Google not exist anymore? <laughs> what is this alternate timeline we exist in where I am your key source? Of, this is here's here's funny oh, yeah. since we're since we're talking about this. So um, I was watching football at 11 o'clock this uh, on Saturday morning. I sat down um, before 11 o'clock. My wife was like, can you clean up your, your tool area in the garage? And I was like, sure, I'll go clean it up. So at like 930, I went outside. Um, I laid out literally all my tool bags. I've got a key, a primary tool bag and a secondary tool bag. Uh, and then I've got like sander, uh, you know, my, my power drill, circular saw, like all, all the tools, right? Not, yeah. I'm not trying to brag here about all my tools. <laughs> so I had them, they were all kind of loose and I needed to, to, uh, clean them up. We had finished our basement. So I'd been doing projects around the house and, and touching stuff up. We'd redone a, an office. So like my tools were in disarray and they were in need of cleaning up. I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Cause she was setting up Christmas decorations. So she was getting stuff out of the garage. She's like, your tool area is a mess kind of bleeding into the rest of, of my decorations. Can you clean it up? I said, sure. So I clean it all up and then I go, okay, it's 11 o'clock. I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to start watching football. YouTube TV has the beautiful four games on one screen view. So I had like, uh, Ole Miss versus UL Monroe. Um, I had Michigan versus Maryland. I had all these different games up and running at the same time. And about a half hour in, I stopped watching and was like, I'm going to go play with the boys. And so my kids were outside. I went outside and played baseball. And we started throwing around. She's like, I thought you were going to watch football. And I go, nah, it's all chalk. And she's like, what are you talking about? I go, it's all chalk. Like, it's all chalk. And she's like, I don't know what all chalk means. Like, what are you trying to say? It's all chalk. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's all chalk. You know, like um, UL Monroe is playing Ole Miss. UL Monroe only is like two and seven. Ole Miss is nine and two or eight and two or whatever. And I go, who do you think's winning? She goes, UL Monroe. I go, no, no, Ole Miss is winning. (laughs) And I go, and that's chalk. And she's like, what does that mean? I go, the team that's expected to win is winning. All the teams that should be winning are winning. There's no exciting game on right now. And she's like, you could have just said that. And I was like, well, I wanted you to understand what chalk was. And she's like, don't mansplain to me. I was like, don't don't say I'm (laughs) mansplaining to you. Like, so then I went outside and played baseball. Uh, and then came back in and when the Iowa game was ready and we watched Iowa. So, yeah, you know, that's right. It was not, there wasn't the, that great of games. Like nope. Maryland, Michigan turned out to be kind of a yeah. nice little battle. But you know, Nebraska and Wisconsin, I think, earned their primetime spot. Yeah. You know, it was a back and forth game. It was an exciting game at times. Nobody was turning the ball over. It wasn't like it was bad football being played. It was, it mm-hmm. was football. It was Big Ten West football on primetime showing what Big Ten West football can be. Right. Yeah. With the two biggest brands. Yep. Battling it out for their sixth win. In inverse colors. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was another comment that I heard. Well, why are they wearing the same colors? Because they have the same colors. Well, they shouldn't, you know. Why is is Nebraska playing Westside High School? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Iowa's defense. What do you... Iowa's defense... Uh, I it just, I just have power. it good. It is good. Um, it, it no see. have Cooper DeGene. Nothing's wrong with our audio folks. Drew's just thinking. <laughs> I'm just trying to prepare myself for, um, no, I don't, what do you even say? It's a great, 
it's an incredibly it's, it's an great incredible defense in all areas i and, i just have right place right time right like iowa does things to put them in the right place at the right time they wait for their opponents to make mistakes um you know there there's there's an assertiveness but not an aggressiveness that i would say that that to me is what defines iowa's defense right they're not a blitz heavy team uh but they do have the guys to get home on a pass rush uh, they're they're not going to break on a lot of of balls, but when the opportunity is there, they're going to make the interception. Right? They are just sound, um, and and I think that's what Iowa has hung their hat on. And they've had years where they've been like the nation and record breaking leaders in turnovers, and they've had years where they haven't, and the results are still the same because they're just where they need to be. They're soundly coached. They're guys who then go on to have professional careers as these journeymen in the National Football League who are just sound and good and do their jobs. So I don't know what else you say about Iowa. Like, don't <laughs> yeah. fuck up against them. Yeah, they, um, I guess just to kind of extrapolate on on what you said, they're, they're stout up front. Um, they're allowing just a little over three yards per rush. They've only allowed two rushing touchdowns um, total on the entire season. Uh, you know, in, in the middle, they've got, they're, they're, experience right there i think their entire starting lineup is all upperclassmen um they rotate in a sophomore here and there um they've got defensive tackles in logan lee and yaya black uh black is six five three fifteen in the middle they did just lock it down they shut down that that run game great name um yeah 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 black oh my god yeah uh great size too and a great player um they've got deontay craig uh who's fourth on the team in tackles at defensive end um, and then they've got their other defensive end opposite him and Joe Evans, who's their pass rush specialist. He leads the team with five and a half sacks. Uh, so like you said, they're not, they're not aggressive. They're not, you know, um, anywhere close to leading the nation in, in, in quarterback sacks, but they're sound. Right. Um, and then you look at their, you know, their linebacker core is, is, um, solid in Jay Higgins and Nick Jackson, um, both seniors, uh, again, just tons of experience. And then um, you touched on their their turnovers. Um, Iowa in the past, you know, five or six years has been notorious for being ball hawks, for leading the nation or being, you know, top three in, in interceptions. And this is their first year since 2016 um, that they don't have double digit interceptions on the season. And so obviously they have one more game here against Nebraska to change that. Um, but they only have nine interceptions. Get out. No, I didn't mean that. I mean, they still have one more game. I wouldn't, even if they weren't playing Nebraska, they still have an opportunity to get another interception. They're probably licking their fucking Nebraska. chops. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, they, you're, they don't, they don't rely on any one certain aspect of their, of their game to, to carry them or to, to, they're, they're just, they're just fucking good. They're just good yeah. all around. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and they, they lose a, a guy like Cooper DeGene, um, and, the, and it's, you know, obviously it's a huge loss, but it doesn't change no. things for them, right? Like they still continue to click. Iowa is, is the developmental program, right? Like that is who they are. That's who they want to be, especially defensively. They're like, we are going to develop guys so that they are the, the, um, they are the definition of next man up. That, that's what Iowa is. And so a loss uh, of a guy like Cooper DeGene, yeah, it hurts your defense. But I would actually argue it hurts special teams more than it hurts defensively because there, there's a lot of guys who can fill in that that gap. And, and when you've got a four-man rush who can get home the way that Iowa's defensive line can, then you can add that extra support into the secondary and, and really shut things down 
uh, in all facets of the game. So, yeah, Cooper DeGene sucks to have uh, out on the on the defense. And if you ask any Iowa fan, that's why they lost last year against Nebraska is Trey Palmer, you know, didn't have to go up against Cooper. That's bullshit. Would have still yeah. burned him. Uh, we were there. We saw it. He still had catches with Cooper DeGene in the game. I say he was burning him early. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, let's get that bullshit out of the way. <laughs> that uh, that fallacy is just gone. But I do think as we then move into talking about Iowa's most impressive facet, their special teams, I do think that's where Cooper DeGene is actually the biggest loss because he is such a threat in the punt return game uh, that having him out of there, he's one of their best offensive weapons where he can open up a game at any time, uh, whether he signals for a fair catch or not. Uh, I, I do think that uh, Cooper DeGene has the opportunity to to really take advantage of the opposing special teams and 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 return the ball for a touchdown. So that's that to me is really where they feel the loss, uh, less so on defense because they are such a sound defense. Yeah, he is he is essentially um, as much an offensive weapon for them as anybody on their offense because of that because of what he provides in the return game, um, you know, gaining them those extra yards or even scoring that touchdown, and so. Um, I agree with you 100%. I think he is a much bigger loss. Um, the guy that they have replacing him uh, in Deshaun Lee at cornerback there is he's a redshirt freshman. Um, I know Illinois tried to pick on him a little bit, but he's he's holding his own. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, N- Nebraska can maybe try to do the same thing where you're 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 going after this guy. Uh, but you're not going to find a lot of opportunity throughout that secondary throwing the ball, uh, regardless of, of who who you're throwing at or, or you know, who's playing what position back there. Sure. Um, I, I do think that um, when it comes to, to beating an Iowa defense, uh, and this one specifically, um, I think having a specific weapon um, in terms of like a, pl- a dynamic playmaker – um, that you can force feed the ball to, uh, hoping to open up big plays. I think that that's kind of the key to to, to moving the ball against a, a defense like this. And I, I was trying to think, like, if Nebraska has a guy that they can they can lean on. I, I you know, in the receiving game, they're obviously there's nobody that's really shown up game in and game out. Um, we talked about Billy Kemp maybe being a guy you can feed the ball to, but he's he's been shown to be contained. Um, at running back, uh, they continue to split carries. So I would, I was thinking like maybe this is another game where Chuba Purdy, um, you you run your offense through him, um, you know, and and you you lean on him uh, in the running game to hopefully open some things up and and break off some big plays to maybe poke holes in this defense. You know, I was I was thinking about that too. Who who is the guy? if we were to need to lean onto someone and, and just feed the ball on that front. And I think Chuba is maybe the obvious choice as far as being able to open up the passing game, open up the run game. But one of the things that Nebraska hasn't really done a whole lot this year that might be able to, uh, they might be able to exploit against Iowa or at least show a new wrinkle is passing out of the backfield with a guy like throwing the ball to Emmett Johnson on wheel routes, getting guys open, you know, do your little chip block and then get out. Uh, on the edge and find some space if you're expecting him to just be back there, especially against an Iowa team that's not going to bring a ton of pressure. Maybe this is an opportunity where you start to throw to your running backs coming out of the backfield and get them just out on the edge where they can kind of cook. Because we've seen that Anthony Grant and Emmett Johnson have done really well in space on being able to um, you know, shake tackles and, and, and extend plays. Uh, running through the tackles hasn't always been the, the best 
uh, mode of success for those guys. So I'm thinking maybe give them a little bit of room and let them go out there and do their thing. And then that might take some of the pressure off of your Billy Camps and your Thomas Fedonis and, and your Malachi Coleman's who are kind of emerging as your top three pass catchers late in this season. So I'd like to see some of that. You know, we've, we've experimented with the slot receiver, the dink and the dunk the past couple of weeks. Let's keep building on that and seeing how our running backs can also handle the pressure of catching the ball out of the backfield. Yeah, I like that idea. Um, I honestly, I don't know what kind of history uh, Grant or Emmett Johnson have catching the ball. Do you? I don't. Do you you know, numbers on that? Ramir Johnson was was our guy who was mm-hmm. who was the wheel route out of the backfield, and Nebraska had some great success against these Big Ten defenses doing that sort of thing. Um, so I, I think that if you're going to emerge as the the RB one, that's a skill set you have to have. I know that rules talked about how Emmett Johnson can be a, a three down back. Um, and can catch the ball out of the backfield. That's why they tend to put him in on third down is in case he does have to be that league option. Um, so I'd like to see maybe how that emerges. And, and if we're able to give Chubba time when I was only bringing four guys, they'll occasionally blitz, but for the most part, they do like to just, you know, drop their secondary back and their linebackers to stay true and um, stay in the box on that front. So I don't know who knows what that brings, but I think that's a wrinkle we haven't seen yet this year that maybe you practice that this week and see if it can add another dimension to this, this run offense that likes to move the ball on the ground. Yeah. That would be interesting to see a guy like Chubba Purdy who does the one, two run, um, maybe switching that one, two check down. Yeah. Type, there type you go. Of, uh, cause he, yeah, cause he does, he does, he does do quick reads. Um, you know, I tend to think of those sorts of um, dump offs to be, I mean, there are safety valves. A lot of the times you'll see um, teams run screens to, to counter a blitz, to counter an aggressive defense. Um, but, it, but again, it's, it's in this case, it would be, uh, you know, more of an extension of the run game um, and hopefully spreading, like spreading the Iowa's defense out and get him to think more sideline to sideline, getting maybe getting a guy um, out of the box um, and opening up the run game a little more up the middle there. So um, I think it'd be an interesting strategy. I didn't even think about it. Um, okay, but it's probably just because we haven't, we haven't seen it. We, we know, really haven't. This and year from Nebraska's offense. So. You know, you think back to some key games um, last year, and I know this isn't the same offense. This isn't the same anything, but Nebraska had similar struggles, right? Couldn't move the ball as well as they wanted to, was having difficulty like finding um, who is the guy, especially late in the season when you've got guys like Casey Thompson getting injured and Nebraska cycling through some quarterbacks, that sort of thing. Like, those types of, of plays, even though they appear to be checkdowns, if they're actually where you're hoping to go to, you know, they they tend to bust for some big yardage. And when we've got guys emerging late this season and you have a game from Anthony Grant, like every time he touched the ball against Wisconsin, I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't concerned that that ball was going to pop out. But Anthony Grant has grown over the course of this season and has shown that he can protect the ball. Emmett Johnson has not been a liability in that front. And Chubba has shown that he's making smart decisions and can protect the ball even when it's not an ideal situation by either throwing away or wrapping up when he's about to be taken down on a sack. I say put the ball in the hands of those guys who have shown you the growth that you've been asking for uh, to play turnover-free football. And so trust on those guys, lean on those guys, and scheme ways to get them open. Sat clearly has an imagination, right? Marcus Satterfield likes to run some fun plays where he's doing these reverses and these weird things you know that were like why are you doing uh why now why why yeah why now yeah um so like i think he can he can do what he needs to do to scheme these guys open it's not like his his play calling is is 
you know, asinine or, you know, it's, it's questionable. I think it's just an execution thing. We don't have the guys to execute what you want to do. Well, start to get creative on how we use the guys who have been consistent for you. And then that way you're putting less pressure on guys like Kemp so that when you need them, they're there for you and they aren't getting targeted. You know, they're not getting like laid out and having to carry the load. They're just your secret weapon who are shorthanded and that sort of thing. So I think there's some creative things we can do, right? All the cards are going to be on the table this game because why not? Uh, what else do you have? This is either the end of your season or this is your opportunity to earn one more game. So put it all out there. Like don't don't hold anything back. And if we, you know, offensively going against this Iowa defense, if we're moving the ball late, I don't want to see you kick a field goal. I'm going to call it right now. I want to see you go for the touchdown. I don't, I don't hate uh, that you were aggressive against Purdy because you've been preaching it uh, in the Maryland game, but then don't retract it against Wisconsin. So in this Iowa game, show me your cards are on the table. Be aggressive. You're going to have to be, you're going to have to try and find chinks in this Iowa defense's armor. So just be aggressive. Go out there and take the win. Like That's what I want to see. Go take it. Yeah, I like that. Um, I will say as far as creativity goes and play calling, it doesn't always mean it has to be complex. It does not have to Great be point. trickery. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I think we've seen. Um, and I get like you can see like all of all of these quote unquote creative plays that they've put out there, it is a matter of man, if they just executed, they would have had it. Like I don't I don't think he's calling these plays um at necessarily inopportune times or or they're there. They are there. Yeah. Um and and the exec if the execution was there alongside them um we'd be singing a different tune um but at the same time i think that yeah i think that you take that creativity and you reapply it um to make it work um in ways where you don't leave it up to execution so much like there's not as much risk involved um but there is still enough reward and uh and i think that that's all there i think that the um you know i think sat has it has the mind for it and i think that he could definitely use these players to that advantage in this game and he's going to have to. So um, I do, like you said, I do want to see that aggressive approach. You have nothing to lose, you know, outside of, outside of that, that bowl game. But I mean, um, I guess you have a little bit to lose, uh, but yeah, I want to see him attack. I want him to see him put, put their, put their money where their mouth is in this game. Um I, w- I want to see a game where they are calling it and playing it where it's not so obvious that the outside noise is influencing the decision-making in those moments Yeah, um, where it's a little more insulated, a little more self-assured um, and a little more consistent with the message that rule has been sending, um, you know, throughout his tenure here. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, like we, we said earlier, this, this is rule learning as well, just as much as anybody else. And so um, it's, a, it's a prime prime opportunity for those lessons to kind of come through. And, uh, you know, if he's able to learn them quickly in a shortened week, then, um, you know, we'll all, be, we'll all be dancing at the end of it. Here we go. Do we need to talk about Tory Taylor, the greatest punter uh, who's ever punted? We can. Uh, actually, I enjoy Tory Taylor in terms of like a football interview. I've talked oh, about it before. Great interview. He's, del- he's delightful. Um, Iowa, uh, first in punts per game in the nation in terms of just sheer numbers. They are also first in terms of opponent punts per game. They, it's not like they, they play this way. They want to punt and they want you to punt because they know they're better. Um, 
and they know that that's an advantage for them. And so, so they go for it. Yeah. Um, he's, he averages 48 yards a punt. Um, he pins people. Insane. That's such it's a good average. Crazy. Oh my God. It's crazy how often he pins people and how accurate he is. He like, he does not make mistakes. He does not have, you know, little jitters or little fuck ups. Like he's just so fucking consistent. It's, it's wild. Um, it is enjoyable to watch if it wasn't Iowa that yeah. was, you know, gaining from his, uh, his expertise, but, um, I'm excited for him to get the fuck out of there and go to the <laughs> NFL and see what he can do, you know, making, making some serious money with his leg. Um, I just, Oh, and one more, one more thing. This is a crazy, crazy numbers. So he has 3,506 yards of punting this year. Wow. Which is first in the nation. There's no other team that has over 3000 yards. Oh my he's, God. He's more than he more than five football fields worth of punts more than anybody else in the nation. That's just, that's um, just like half a game for him. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's, it's insane. Um, it's a, it's a wonder to behold. And, um, again, they, they, it's almost like they constructed their entire football philosophy around punting with the way that they do things um, more, more so than anything else. Um, Nebraska will just need to, you know, or I guess uh, uh, Bushini is going to need to dig deep and, and find that magic. We know he's capable. Um, again, I hope he's, I hope he's healthy. I hope he can do it. I hope he can pull it off and just kind of go toe to toe, foot to foot with Iowa. There you go. Oh. All right. Prediction time. Okay. Would, would you like to start us off or you want to go number two? I'll go, I'll go first. I, I don't need to go number two. <laughs> I did that earlier. We started recording early this morning, but I got it in. Attaboy. Um, hey. So, are you on okay, a schedule? Like, are you a schedule? No. <laughs> we want to go in there? All right. Here we go. Uh, getting to hoist the Heroes Trophy in Iowa City last year with my good friend and co-host Ben, while celebrating with Garrett Nelson, Coach Bill Bush, Ty Robinson, and many more, is hands down the best sports moment in my life. What's the one thing that might just rival that feeling? How about witnessing a cathartic sixth win in Lincoln with 90,000 other Husker faithful after seven long-ass years in the desert? Chubba chubba choo-choo, the pretty hype train Keeps on rolling for another 100 yards, which is a fucking ridiculous prediction. Another 100 yards on the ground. Fedoni notches a touchdown against his home state's flagship program. Emmett Johnson and or Anthony Grant scrape together a modest 50 yards combined, but a goal line punch in proves to be the difference maker. Meanwhile, the Cornhusker defense unloads every last ounce of aggression and energy on college football's most anemic offense, coming away with an interception and a fumble recovery on a strip sack to set up two short field scoring drives. Nebraska secures a bull berth and sends Iowa off to the slaughterhouse in Indianapolis with a big, big fat fucking L. Nebraska 20, Iowa 15. P.S. That's five Iowa field goals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nothing would make me happier. Yeah. I had to admit to my wife that I cried during the Maryland game because I thought we were about to win and go to, go to a bowl. <laughs> And then during the Wisconsin game, when she told me I was impossible to watch a game with, that's that's when I told her I was like, "You don't understand. This has nothing yeah. to do with football and everything to do with. I just need this." <laughs> it's like in the offense when off at the office uh, when when Brian goes, 
uh, Kevin, the actor's name is Brian Baumgartner, but when Kevin goes, it's just nice to win one sometimes. It's <laughs> just how I feel. It's so uh, true. I'm so sad I don't get to be there. I am sad too. I am very sad. Uh, no. I won't say anything about how awesome it's going to be. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> I I expect you to run down there though and hoist that trophy for we, a second time. We, I, I'll find, I'll try to find my way on the field. We're gonna go. We're gonna try to get onto the field for the tunnel walk. Nice. I'm um, to be out there, and then I don't know about after the game. We'll see. You gotta think that that they let the fans on the field. I think we will. Right. They'll let us on if we make it. Make it so. Yeah. What are those we Boy decide. Scouts gonna do? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, let the let the players yeah. get off. Let them have, but like, let the fans on the field. You know what yeah. I mean? We we've been through enough. They're going to knock down half the stadium anyways. Like, let them on the field. <laughs> right. let just let them have at South Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> just rip off oh, your seat. Man. Just. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. All right. Twenty to fifteen. That's what you said. Twenty. Yeah. Again, another another. Uh, that's thirty-five. Though. That's way up, way over the over. Yeah. Um. Again, another. Another close one, another low scoring game. Um, I, I like. I just think that Nebraska has a something extra, like a little bit of magic. Yeah, there's a little um, juice left. This, the the Chubba Purdy spark uh, again. Fedoni playing against uh, his his home state team. Um, it's just and then and then defense being the defense, like yeah, the opportunities there. I think I think they're gonna they're gonna take advantage. All right, you ready? Yes, let's hear it. All season long, we've been on the hunt. We've been searching for the signature win of Matt Rule's first year, looking desperately for the tangible proof that this new regime is the answer to our local nightmare. NIU and Louisiana Tech, although not givens, were should wins. Northwestern, Illinois, and Purdue were wins where in billiards we'd have to preface with slop aloud. But against Wisconsin, Nebraska showed it was possible to play disciplined, to protect the ball, to come out as the aggressor. But now it's time to finish. Iowa has already claimed their spot atop the Big Ten West. Their final emotional homestand is in the rear view, and their attention may be in the wrong place. Make them pay for overlooking Nebraska. Rule has put the Huskers in a position to earn their way to a bowl game. All they have to do is take it. Come out with a fire and ferocity so powerful that whoever faces Iowa and Indy will credit Nebraska for a victory over Iowa. Not because we shared signs and signals, but because we sent the Big Ten East a decimated team. Give me Nebraska for the last time on Wannabe Walk-Ons in a Big Ten West barn burner. 20 to 15 go big red no. fuck iowa we fucking did it we picked the same prediction it has to happen now baby it oh has to happen now you really i really did 15 Holy yes shit. of all the scores of all the scores that's amazing well it's gotta be that it's gotta be something right oh. in the cards there i think that's it's gonna beautiful. be two touchdowns and a two-point conversion but hey you know <laughs> or a safety you know some dumb shit like the that safety there Yep, yep. So, Which, yeah, Iowa has three on the year. They lead lead football in safeties. So, another dumb you know, just... thing. <laughs> I can't believe we had the same score prediction. Score I had to points. swallow that That's shit. <laughs> as soon as you said it, I, I was like, it. oh, really? You thought it was going to be 20 to 15? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, this is the yeah. last time we're going to predict these things. 
we'll continue to predict, just not on a microphone. That's true. You know? I yeah. might. I'm a, I won't send it anywhere. <laughs> You're just all alone in your basement. <laughs> oh, man. We got one more after this. Yep. And I one hope more it's, reaction. And... I hope it's a special one. Me too. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Drew, that does it for this week. We want to thank everyone who tuned in to this week's episode. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would have appreciated your recommendation sooner. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don't forget to follow us on social media at Wannabe Walk-Ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Remember to do your part. Drink local drinks wherever you are. You can find more information on the beers and whiskey featured in today's episode by checking out the show notes. If you have any breweries, distilleries whoever you want us to sample better get them in now visit <laughs> wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation thank you again for listening as always join us next week as we share our thoughts on iowa and reflect back on the journey that was wannabe walk-ons with our series finale episode thanks for listening and as always drink big red drink big red drink big red